on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Eichert and Lehman. Former OU All-American linebacker Rufus Alexander joins us to talk about the biggest news in college football. We discuss Oklahoma State players testing positive for the coronavirus, OU sticking to the return plan, and OU and OSU players speaking out and participating in protests this week. Rufus brings some interesting insight into everything going on in the country right now. You won't want to miss it. During Wet the Beak, we break down the NBA's return format and the Thunder's remaining schedule. We give you our winners and losers of the week and tell the story of a nonprofit that was destroyed over the weekend in keeping it local. As always, we finish with your Twitter questions. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars and write us a good review, follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those and you'll find us. All right, our man Michael Hostey will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. Beautiful Thursday, June 4th. Now we're recording this on Wednesday night. We're here to talk about college football, but it's a, it's essentially impossible to talk about college football right now without talking about what's going on in the country, and that's including the coronavirus, and then, of course, the nationwide protests. Uh, so we're going to weave it all together the best way we can, and to help us do that is a guy that is one of the most opinionated and practical people I know. He also happens to be a former All-American linebacker at OU, where the entire crowd chanted his name. Alexander is in the house. Rufus, how we doing, man? Doing all right, man. I learned from Teddy. That's, that's the big thing. If I make any mistakes on the field, it's all Teddy's fault. He taught me everything that I know. Luckily, he learned the good things and left the bad things, uh, you know, didn't bring any of those out there. Only took on the good qualities, which I love. Fantastic. Yeah. Hey, Ted, you know what I found today? I was going through all my old stuff, and I got my pros and cons list for the schools that I chose. Like, I have Ole Miss. I think it's Ole Miss, LSU, Alabama, Texas, and OU. And I have my pros and cons list and all that stuff that I did with my high school coach and sat down and went through all of it. Dude, you know what one of my pros was? For OU? Yeah, for OU. was BB's pinky finger. (laughs) That's funny. Uh, I mean, you probably hadn't um, got the real version of BV yet, or that would have been on the cons list probably. Yeah, definitely been on the cons list. But, dude, one of my cons for not going to Texas was their practices were too soft. Uh, It's amazing. 20 years later, still the same thing. Amazing. (laughs) <laughs> that's pretty cool now boys there there's a lot to talk about but clearly we're going to talk some football before we get to kind of the real world issues 
but they're, they're kind of intertwined. So it's hard to separate these things right now. Uh, let's start with what's going on at OU. Uh, Lincoln Riley spoke yesterday, uh, had a Zoom meeting with the media, and said that the players at OU, they'll be virtually quarantining before they come back on what sounds like June 27th to get tested and then start voluntary workouts July 1st. Uh, he mentioned that they're learning from what other teams are doing, uh, but he likes that they weren't influenced by anyone else. He thinks some people are going to try to stretch the boundaries of the definition of voluntary. Of course they are. That is, uh, that's nothing new. But uh, Rufus, we haven't gotten your thoughts. What are your thoughts on OU's return plan in general? I mean, personally, I mean, I'd like to get back and be at the university. Um, I think that's, for a guy like me, healthcare-wise, OU would probably be the best place for me to be healthcare-wise, for me to be healthy, eat healthy, be around medical staff that can take care of me. If I got the coronavirus, instead of going into a hospital where there's a bunch of people there and they handle things a lot differently, um, if nobody knows Oklahoma gives Oklahoma for me when I was there. I felt I'd gotten the best care whenever I needed something. They always had some doctor that was there to be there on call to give me what I need when I need it. Then you have the other aspect of it, like guys like Jace, like Hazelwood that goes out, you working out and all that stuff and the possibility of injuries. Ain't no kids going to just sit at home and not do anything. And you think these kids are going to quarantine here at home when they're around their friends and all that stuff. Nobody's really quarantining right now. So you have all this stuff and you're saying, well, we're going to come back in July. I'm not saying it's the wrong decision. For me personally, I would like to be back at school. I was a student athlete because of, I can do so many more. I feel I'm, I get further along being at the university than I do being away from the university. And that's, that's my opinion. And I, I commend all the coaches that's going ahead and bringing these kids back because I don't like idle mind, idle time. A lot of time, a lot of kids get in trouble. They're back at home with their friends. Some kids don't come from the nicest of neighborhoods. College is their getaway. And now they're thrust back into that because nobody can be on campus unless you have an apartment or a place in Norman. So some kids go back home. Some kids stay. I, for me, I would have stayed in Oklahoma. I wouldn't have gone back home for those reasons. Yeah. I think what's interesting is, you know, they're starting the uh, virtual quarantine or self-quarantine. It's, you know, it's kind of the honor system. And uh, like a quarantine is, I think people have, since we've been at home over the past three months, I don't think people understand what a quarantine is. A quarantine is, you isolate yourself from the world. If you go out and get the mail and you touch the mail, that's not a quarantine. If you're staying at home and your mom goes to work during the day and then comes home in the evening, you're exposed to that. That's not a quarantine. A quarantine is complete isolation. If you're not completely isolated, quarantine is worthless. So I wish they were bringing the guys back home or not home, but back to school on campus June 15th. Yeah, and then that way they can be, uh, you know, around the guys that they're going to be with in a controlled environment. 
And it's not going to be a perfect quarantine, but I think it's better than everyone that's going to be at home anyways and bring all of that back in. So it, to me, it's one of those things that it, I think it just looks good on paper. How effective it is, I, I really don't know that it's that effective at all. It's, I mean, it's the honor system. Are guys not going to see their girlfriend? Are guys uh, not going to go to the gym to work out? Are they not going to go to the to a restaurant, sit down and eat? You know, I, I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I wish know. they were back here because you, you come back July one and you have some problems. You're cutting it awful close. I don't, I don't know many college kids that are going home and not seeing their girlfriends or some of their girlfriends around. I, I just don't know. I, I mean. I don't know many college kids, like you said, come back to school and um, the the control that you have with the dorms and all that stuff is um, is I think it's better than just being at home, than having your family there and all that stuff. People want to come in and out of the house and all that stuff. It's just like you said, it's easier to control. I think if you're there with the whole staff, and if something happens, I think you can quarantine them better as well because the testing wise. How many guys are at home getting their fever tested checked every day, making sure they have the stuff they need? If if you have it in OU, you get your fever tested. Oh, you got a fever. All right, we're going to quarantine you over here. We know it's serious, so we're going to keep you here for this long period of time. I think it would be easier to take the players and segment them like, like that if you had that. You know, I think what, one of the interesting things is, Gabe, that Lincoln said that you know, depending on where guys are coming from, there's different hot spots around the country. And depending where they're coming from, they've got different travel arrangements to keep the that quarantine, uh, you know, to where it's not yeah. compromised. Yeah, what, it, what does that like, even mean? send a private jet to Florida p- to yeah, pick guys up? Baby, going and get them. That's what you got to do. That's the only thing you could do. I mean, if you quarantine for 14 days, then go jump on a Southwest Airlines jet. I hate to tell you, but um, that's not going to cut it. I, wow. I, I think I, I think from what I've been told – Is that, a, is that it, legal, Dave? You, I, I don't know if – can you even do that? Now, first of all, I don't think with some impending financial decisions that Oklahoma and any university is going to have to make – I don't think you can justify picking up a couple kids in private planes. Maybe you can, but if you're boosters and if they donate the thing, you're good. Send that charter, baby. Maybe he means they're going to send them those little uh, clear bubbles and the guys are going to ride in, in the, the airlines with that bubble around them like they uh, like bubble boy. <laughs> I, but, I don't know. I don't know how you do it. Now, the other big story clearly in the state of Oklahoma is Oklahoma State players are back and they've tested everyone and they have three positive tests. Um, and Eamon Ongbongbamiga comes out, posts on Twitter that he's one of them. Uh, he mentioned he, he went to the protest there in Tulsa. Now, he wasn't trying to insinuate those things were related, but he just Run realized – he. He's asymptomatic, so he's just trying to point out that, hey, if I had it, I was around a bunch of people, although he was wearing a mask and all this stuff, according to him. So I I talked to some people at Oklahoma State about this, and they were expecting more positive tests than the three they had. Uh, 
I, I believe their projection was that of the people they tested, they were thinking maybe it'd be around 8% of people or so. Now, they told the incoming freshmen not to report, and they've delayed the phase schedule for bringing those guys to Stillwater as of now. So that is – it's really interesting to me because we were wondering what would happen when kids test positive, and it's already happened, right? And, and I don't think anyone was expecting it not to happen, but it does make you wonder about that July 1st date for Oklahoma because Oklahoma State's players, they've got time, right? They, they've got two weeks until – they that's can start working out. 15th, that's the June 15th number. I mean, much less they showed up on June 15th and then had two weeks and still have July. So, no, I, it, it's a great point. Here's the thing is that that three number, and they expected 8%. You know, I think some teams are probably going to have zero. Some are going to be around three to five. Some may hit that 8% number. And if you test 150 people, you're talking about uh, 12 people. But some, some people might have 15 positives or more. So, I mean, it's, just, it's one of those things where the quicker you get the guys back and quicker you get them tested, the better. That way you can go through the quarantine protocol before you get back up and running instead of, instead of delaying everything all over again. So, I don't know. It's, it, it, it just, you're really cutting that timetable really tight if you're Oklahoma. Right. And that's, and that's the part about that thing right there. Whenever you have that timetable that's there and something happens and you get them all, all like Oklahoma state, they have a head start on it. So you got these three kids that can sit out for three weeks or whatever they have. You set those three guys aside, but you going into July and a guy gets the coronavirus and you know, when you come back that June 15th, but then say three days later, he gets it. I mean, that's cutting into a guy's, training and all that stuff and getting up and going and they can say what they want they play with a different set of rules in the sec and how they prepare their kids and what they do in the offseason stuff if i'm for lincoln riley instead of saying that you know other guys do stuff or whatever that's the rules i think you need to even the playing field you need to figure out ways to even the playing field so that it's because the other guys they're doing things their way sec do stuff their own way and they prepare guys their own way. And you could have, you can please believe Alabama have some kind of coach that's out there coaching them, doing them mandatory, voluntary, voluntary things because they missed in the spring. I, I'm just curious as to what they're going to do with these guys that have tested positive, right? Because you're sitting there for two weeks anyways, quarantining. You would assume that, a lot of Oklahoma State's players, they're getting together. They're working out together. They found the field to do things together. What are those guys going to do that are quarantining? Like, if I was a college football coach, if I was a strength and conditioning coach, it's already been documented, right, that most of these schools have some sort of housing for the guys that test positive, right? That's what it comes out, that Oklahoma State, they've got separate housing, and those kids are going to be quarantined. They're going to do contact tracing and all that stuff. And, yeah, they're, they're going to go by the CDC protocols. But does that prevent you? And remember, these kids are all asymptomatic. If I'm looking to get an edge 
my guys that are quarantining together, there's going to be a weight room set up somewhere <laughs> in that Individual housing. Individual weight room. Everyone's I, got their own gym. Right. I mean, really, you, you can't just stick the kids in there and not let them do anything, right? They don't have to be sedentary in quarantine. So I think that's, that's kind of some of the out-of-the-box thinking we're going to see during this whole thing because, Ted, I think you're right. I think a lot of kids are going to test positive. I think we're going to keep seeing this. And we, we saw it with Oklahoma State. We saw it with, what, Ole Miss. We saw it with, you know, a staffer there at Iowa State. So it's going to keep happening, and it's not going to go away. So how are these people going to adjust to this stuff? Is I, I can't wait because you know there's going to be some sick setup and some housing thing on campus, and these guys are going to be getting it in while they're quarantining. I'll but, tell you guys why I would suck as a college football coach. Because right now, I'd be thinking, okay, let's see. If a guy comes back and tests positive, we've got to quarantine him for 14 days. Okay, that doesn't hurt me on June 1. But what happens if he tests positive on August 1 or September 1? All right, because there's going to be some guys that test positive. I mean, they're not going to be living in a, like, in a tube separate from the world all through college football season, they're going to be going up against other teams. They're going to be going to class. So, guys, there's going to be guys test positive for, uh, for the virus during the season. So, my poor thinking is let's get everyone here. Let's put them all in a room together and make sure everyone gets it right now and they all have the antibodies built up and we can get it, work it through the team, work it out of the system, and off we go during the year. You're going with the herd mentality. <laughs> That's right. I'm, me, I'm just saying, hey, y'all come here. We test you with the, with the little thing. After that, we rolling. Ain't no every test. If you get it, you get it. Let me know if you're sick. We don't like the flu. We out. <laughs> <laughs> and Pretty much was... the herd mentality. I think that's where it's going. That's where it's going to go. I mean – Look at, I mean, look around the country, man. I mean, I, I just think that's where it's going to head to, where people are not really going to worry about it and keep on moving. I mean, I've been to gyms. There's not much social distancing at the gym. I've been to restaurants. I've been to Walmart, Lowe's, everywhere you can be. And there's people everywhere, old people, young people. Nobody's really kind of following the guidelines anymore. And, and then they got these, un, it's, it's unrealistic to do it. It basically, if it boils down to it, because from what you're saying, Gabe, right? You get the kids back. The flu, the the coronavirus is not going anywhere. This kid's asymptomatic, so now he has to stay in this bubble. So what if somebody else gets it? So then you got to shut down the whole team. You got to keep him away from the team. But what if he already touched and talked to the team? Because once you find out after a game he didn't have the coronavirus, now he didn't touch everybody on this team and that team. And then now you got to empty the stadium and trust everybody, test everybody in the stadium. It's just going to – it's crazy how you – if you kind of think about all of it, it's no way that they can – they're going to be able to do this and not have a season or even have practice or anything. It's going to be like, hey, if you get it, we're going we're gonna to do it as it goes because this kid was asymptomatic and moving around just fine. He was, he was going about his day. He didn't know he had – he didn't even know he had it. So – I think that's where it's going to head to. I think it was just, you know, it it brought us back to reality, right? There had been so much positive momentum 
around college football season. Uh, you know, we're talking, hey, how, what percentage of fans can we get in the stands? You know, the kids are coming back, and then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, the, there's still this pandemic thing that we're working through. And it's going to be 100% full game. It's, it, it's extremely complicated. It's I mean, you think about it. This is the realization. That this is the realization I came to today, and that is that college football depends on the accountability of 18 to 22-year-old men because what they do when they're away from the facility is going to determine what happens with the college football season this year. And that's maybe not the best place to be because you're relying on some guys that aren't exactly in the most reliable demographic, boys. I'll give you a case in point. One of, one of the toughest quarantines that we know is what? The hotel the night before a game. You got, what, 10 p.m. room check. Everyone knows you're going to be a 10 p.m. room check. Everyone knows that the, the strength staff is going to be by knocking on the door at 10 o'clock. Everyone knows that if you leave, leave the hotel, you're going to be in big trouble. We've all seen guys miss bed check. We've all seen guys leave the, the team hotel the night before a game, right? We're talking about the night before a game, and we're going to expect these guys in Florida or Houston or California or wherever – you got a 14-day quarantine where nobody's checking on you. Uh, I'm just gonna slide out one night. No one will know. No one's gonna. No one's gonna know it, that I'm gone. I mean, it's th that's kind of the point. Is like you can't you can't trace. Like for instance, Oklahoma State's gonna do contact tracing. I mean, it, he was at a protest in Tulsa with a thousand people. How are you gonna contact trace that? I mean. It's, it's, it's an exercise in futility. Uh, if, if we're going to, like, shut the whole thing down over some positive tests, then it's going to be a long fall. Yeah, you know, I, they can do whatever they want. Until I'm sick, I ain't going nowhere. I ain't volunteering, taking no tests, none of that stuff. <laughs> I mean, nobody it's, tracing me or nothing. <laughs> I, it, it's one of those things where, I mean, at some point, you have to separate the like we know the data is extremely clear on who's affected. It's it, it's the elderly, it's the people that have uh, immune systems that are compromised. You know, we we know the people. We can separate them out, but you know, for the most part, you're never going to get you're never going to get even a decent percentage to abide. It's just you just can't do it. I don't know. It's uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays itself out in the fall. I do think that, you know, going back to April when Gundy said, hey, we want everyone back May 1st, uh, you know, to start getting money flowing through the state of Oklahoma. He got a lot of criticism for it, but he's got his guys back. He's had a couple guys test positive, And when you look at it, they're going to be able to quarantine and still be able, still be ready to roll for that June 15th voluntary workout so I, I'm not saying I 
that people owe Mike Gundy an apology or anything like that, but when it came out that a lot of Oklahoma State players, a lot, three, tested positive today, people seemed to try to, like, clown Gundy about it. And, and I didn't really understand because, to me, they're in a relatively solid position. You only had three guys test positive and you're two weeks out from working out. That seems like a huge win. Now you still have to trust those guys to hold each other accountable and hopefully stay on campus and not go anywhere and don't have any fun. Basically, don't be a college kid. But I don't understand why people were poking fun at Gundy. That seems like a very solid position to be in for a college football team right now. If anything, you you should be saying, well, maybe he should have had him back on May 1st. You know, I mean, if if – if guys are going to, some guys are going to test positive anyways. Um, I still believe that uh, as Rufus said earlier, I echo it. I think a college campus is the, an empty college campus, by the way, is the safest place for those guys. You can control their environment. You can control their food, their weight room, uh, the people that they're around for the most part. And, you know, I think, I think it would have been good. Now it's no really point, no real point debating it. Now it's all, it's all past, but I agree with you, Gabe. I think, you look back at what Gundy said all along is he wanted to get his staff tested and get his players back and tested as soon as possible where they could start moving forward. And you look at it now, it's like, yeah, that probably would have been a pretty good plan. I think it would have been a, it would have been a good plan for everyone just because for the plain and simple fact, the health the care as far as what you get at the top colleges is bar none is the best. It's, it was for me – Oklahoma's care system, like as far as health-wise, orthopedic, doctors being on point, was better than the NFL. And then now you have this situation where you need kids to be in one space. And now I've totally emptied out the campus. You shut down every business that was not, that was to be shut down. I mean, where the hell are they going if they're, from, they're not from Oklahoma? You ain't going to Louis. You're not going to hang on campus corner. There's nobody. It's a ghost town. So you have them in a controlled environment, and now all of a sudden you say, well, now you can't bring them in? Every city was shut down. So having them back in May, what Gundy said, actually probably was more of a smarter thing to do with these kids. Like Teddy said, it's no use of debating it, but it was a ghost town, guys. I mean, nobody was going pretty much anywhere until they came out of phases, and now you got these kids coming back with everything open. Pretty much everybody's phasing in to people contacting each other. And now you've got kids coming in. They're gonna they have a better chance of testing positive now. And uh, we were just dealing with the coronavirus, right? Before the end of last week. Armageddon. And now there's a completely new wrinkle to this entire thing because, listen, the the, the lifeblood of Big Twelve football is the state of Texas, right? And we've seen huge protests in Houston, huge protests in Dallas. And this is, and college football is 18 to 22 year old men that are predominantly black. Like that, that's just, when you look at the demographics of college football players, that's the reality of it. And these college football players that aren't back on campus yet, they're going to these protests. They are participating and they should. Right. 
I mean, they should. They that that's their right as an American, but that adds a completely new layer to it, Rufus, because we mentioned contact tracing. They're in gigantic crowds of people, and in gigantic crowds of people that they don't know. I mean, no one knows. So it it just it was really really complicated, and now it's damn near impossible because of another development in the country. We want to take this. You want me to go? You go. Hey, listen, no one wants to hear two white guys talk about this because, I mean, we just don't understand. So you you say what you need to say, my man. But, I mean, I don't think it's something to to really understand, right? Because as Gabe, who you are as a person – you're, you're an awesome dude. You're cool with everybody, all walks and forms of life. Teddy, me and Teddy been played together. We've been in the locker room together. Teddy's, I've never seen Teddy ever utter a racist word. Never seen Teddy be different towards a black guy versus a white guy. We were all in it to win. So what, what is it that I can tell you to change as a person? And right now you have this mob mentality of people, if you're not with us, we're, ah, we're coming after you. If white people need to change this to be more this way towards black people and it's telling people how to change being who they are, even if you're not a racist, if you're just a person that hangs in a certain pocket of people, that's hard for anybody to do or even like make happen. And now you got a, a situation now across the country where people are starting to ride it. It's no longer a peaceful protest. Um, what happened to to Floyd? It was un. It was the worst video I've ever seen of somebody getting murdered in the middle of the street. I mean, my heart broke, and it was so hard to watch. I, I think that's about the most united we've seen this country in a long time. Is everyone is united in the fact that what we saw there was murder, and it was just the most horrible thing to watch on on a video. It was horrible. And my thing is, I don't get the whole everybody starting to just ride and throw stuff at people and, and rocks and burning down buildings and all this and that stuff. I don't get that. And I can't even get down with that. And even worse than that video, there was a, a former, a retired police officer that got killed in Missouri, I believe, going check on a pawn shop that was getting looted. They shot him and it was video live. So you watch this man die right there on the sidewalk as the people that shot him kept looting out of the pawn shop, left him there to die. So you got all this carnage, and this is, this, is a, this is another black man, got killed by some other guys doing this stuff in the name of George Floyd. Like, how? And at some point, you got to say, well, this no longer is a, a, a peaceful protest. Let's break up the protest and stop protesting right now. So it calms everything down. And then we come back and have a peaceful protest. Shut your protest down early for the good of people's community, for the good of the people, for the good of Black people. Before it's all said and done, more Black people will be hurt and damaged by this than help. Because one, they're tearing down cities. Two, at some point, they're going to start shooting rubber bullets. And I mean, they're shooting rubber bullets, tear gas at some point. Somebody else is going to get hurt, going to get killed because they're out there in the streets. 
People are going to start defending their properties. So it's going to make, it's going to be a war, people on people. That's not good. So as, as a black man, I would say just break down and don't have the peaceful protest right now. You can't, don't forget, but kind of let the situation die down so people stop rioting and then come back and have a peaceful protest or have a peaceful protest and disperse. And people that are on the street that are, that are, because the later this thing goes on, the more people just get more and more antsy, more and more antsy. And that's the crazy thing to me. It's like, it's just a nighttime, like a, a switch flip off. It's like, we about to burn everything down and steal everything. And I just, I just can't, I don't understand why. And I come from so many, I come from two different walks of life. I, I grew up poor, black, and then I, played sports, got successful. I had a, a white guy who's my high school coach that helped me get to Oklahoma. I lived with him and his family. They took me in, didn't see me as color. And people are going to have to always know that there's going to be pockets of people that live in different, I mean, like, Gabe, you can't go to back in the day when there was Fritzy's, where it's an all-black club. You're not going in there without knowing some black guys in there that say, hey, he's with me, the white dude's with me, he cool. Don't mess with that, it. That, that happened once or twice in my day. <laughs> right? And so it, it's not a racism thing. It's that, hey, he's part of my, he's part, he's with me, he's cool or whatever. The same thing you would say if somebody went to a honky-tonk club and nobody, like everybody's going to look at you when you walk in there like, man. And if the guys be like, hey, he's with me or whatever. And then you're cool with some of the guys and some of the guys would be standoffish. Those people don't bother me. It's the people that are that you have to protect people that do stuff that kill people, right? Because the, the police officer that did what he did, I mean, nine minutes, that guy needs to be punished. But the other parts of the world that where people live their lives the way they live them and people don't intertwine and all that stuff, you can't ask those people to change who they are or how they live life. Because most of the times y'all not going to intertwine. Y'all not going to be friends. Y'all not going to do anything. And living the way we are right now in this country and the way, the way they're trying to tell people to do stuff and trying to stop cars and do all this and that stuff, it's not going to work. It's, it's going to be, it, they're making it more white versus black when it shouldn't, when this should unite is more, when it's kind of, the more they, the more they fight about it, the more it draws people away from it that are white, that's on the side of, of black people getting justice and being, getting, getting this whole thing corrected. But then you, it turns people off when it gets to being violent. Nobody wants to be a part of violence. I mean, you look around, you look around everywhere. I mean, even with the looting and stuff, it's a lot of white and black kids. And I'm like, what the heck? Where are all these? It, it's mixing the way they're looting as well. So it's not just black kids that are looting. It's white kids that are looting. It's everybody that's, and it's not even older people a lot of times there's a lot of young kids that are out there skateboard kids skinny jeans skateboards breaking glass <laughs> where all these kids come from and it's happening over and over and over again and i just man i felt so bad and i just feel like people need to take a breath a deep breath and kind of walk like step back from it and start to think about it and educate themselves more and how to change their communities because I think the part about it where people don't, people always want this change, 
but they're not going about it going about it the right way. Whenever you go and vote on a bill for a 2% tax to build this community center all the way across town, being there to say, well, vote no on it when you get approached with it. I'm going to vote no because there's nothing that's doing anything, building stuff for this side of the community or whatever. That's how you change a community. Well, we live on this side. If you build something all the way on the north side of Norman and nothing on the south side of Norman, that means the people all the way in the south side has to go all the way up there and, you know, and go to stuff up there. And you have, you don't make it convenient for that place. So you have to learn how to vote to change your community. You have to know who's your shit, who's your, the chief of police, know who's the mayor, like know the mayor, know the DA, know who you're voting for. And whenever things don't go the way that as a society, as a community, you don't like, you know who to vote out. They don't get second, third, and fourth terms. You don't get a police chief that allows somebody to do bad things in your neighborhood because police, police chiefs know who's the bad party in their bad parties in their department. And having a police chief that you can go and say, well, you're not going to be the police chief for a year or two. You're only going to be a one-term police chief. Things like that. And we have record low voting when it comes to that side of it. But we all out, everybody's out there, no justice, no peace. But then when it comes to the real action, the real change, nobody's there. And the numbers show that. So we have to get better at voting to change our community. We have to get better at voting at educating each other so things will change. And then you can have these things right here become more and more minimal and people that shouldn't have badges won't have badges. But we, but if you don't do the other one, it's, it's, uh, it's just a protest for a, a means to no end. Yeah. I, I think a couple of things you said that are really important. The first is I, I'm with you. It's fascinating how many people show up to vote for someone that's going to govern 3,500 miles away, but they don't show up to vote for people, you know, that are going to, you know, write the laws and bills and, and ordinances that affect them on a day-to-day -day basis where they live in their, in their communities, both at the uh, municipal level, the city level, and the state level. Uh, the turnouts are, are so much, so much smaller, and you're right. That's, that's how you affect the rules and the regulations and the, and the actual people that are uh, in positions of leadership nearest to you that affect you on uh, the day-to-day -day basis at, at the most. So I think that's an important point. The other thing is I, I'm with you. Like the, I thought we took a, a powerful moment as a country where everyone saw that video and is like, we're watching murder. I mean, this is this is murder and i thought it was powerful that you had so many people connected so many people and you can't get anyone to agree on anything right now and unanimously the country agreed on that right we all agreed on that and then we lose that moment whenever the the rioting the violence violence and the looting happen that moment's gone because now what's the focus the focus is on the looting they looted this store and there was this you know fight and the police you know used tear gas here and, and we've lost the moment and uh, that's what i was frustrated by on a college football level one thing that i think is interesting like if you if you put yourself in in these head coaches position it's tough because the you want your players to have a voice 
you want them to be leaders in the community. You want them out there, um, you know, using their platform to, to help change and to help change for the better. But here's the other thing, like, as a coach, you're like, that is like, I mean, there's guys, people getting arrested. There's bricks being thrown. There's people taking guns. There's knives. The military's coming the in. Coronavirus the coronavirus is still out there. Coronavirus. It's like, on one hand, you're like, yes, go protest. But on the other end, it's like, oh, my God. I, I just, I hope my guys make it back in one piece every night where they're not going to get arrested. They're not going to get you know, hit with a brick or shot with a rubber bullet or get pick up the coronavirus. It's just, I, I can just imagine those coaches sleepless nights. They're worried about their players being in that environment. I'm afraid, like, I'm afraid for guys going out there. I, I'm the protest during the day, peaceful, but at night I would urge my guys, man, go home because I'm afraid for people out there because again, somebody out there defending his property and some guys come in there and trying to come into somebody's building. He just shoots a bullet has no name on it. A guy just t- tossing a brick from way in the back. He gets our dang tear gas get thrown and get hits him right in the face and they shoot the rubber bullets. All those things, man, that's, that's a gamble because a lot of times the cops are shooting into a crowd because they're getting stuff chunked at them. So they just shooting in the crowd just to, just to disperse it. Yeah. And, it's, it's just so hard, man, and it, it hurts my heart to see the, the country burn, like, on flames in a lot of different places, and it's just, it upsets me more than, it upsets me, it hurts, because a lot of people just, man, I don't even know how to even explain how a lot of people are using this just to be, mis- like, mischievous, just go and just loot and steal, watching people break windows and just gutting a store out. I do insurance and I was like, these people have to file a claim and then their insurance go up. And sometimes it's not covered. Yeah. And, and people are sitting there talking about, well, is the voice is the voice of the unheard or whatever. And they use parts of what Martin Luther King says as a reason to do stuff. That that makes absolutely zero sense to use a nonviolent man's words and take it out of context and say, Riots is the voice of the unheard, but you didn't listen to a lot of the things that Martin Luther King stood for. And the reason why he stood up for a lot of things as far as being able to vote, to control your your situation and all that stuff, they skip over that whole entire part and don't do that part and go right into the rioting because I'm unheard. That's the part that kind of really just, just kind of trips me off. And they don't, they don't, judge each person by their character they just go off on every white person as every white person is mean and i'm like that's not it's not the way it goes not every cop is mean like you judge a cop off of his character if he comes to you as mean and being all on top of you said being all rough and stuff that's not a cop you want to deal with you just you try to go through it and figure out and then you, you file your complaint but you can't be hard at that moment in time you have to know when to back down and file your complaint when you have to file it. And people are going, I think, trying to rate, try to make every cop a bad cop is not going to be, it's not going to play out very well because they also still have to come back and protect the community. But then you make people hyper afraid and always videoing and moving around in their cars and stuff and being ultra fidgety or ultra agitated towards cops. 
it would be tough to be a cop right now too. It's tough to be a cop. It's tough to be just a human being living in America. I mean, it's just tough either way. And they make, they're making everybody fight. And that's the tough, that's the hardest part to kind of wean through. Yeah. A couple things Um, as pertaining to college football, college football players are predominantly black men. Um, That's obvious. And you can look at the data and it'll tell you that. And when you look at the coaches, there's 14 African-American head coaches in FBS college football, 14. So clearly there is a lot of white coaches that are responsible for the well-being of young black players. That creates a very interesting dynamic for me. And uh, I think Lincoln Riley, he's done a great job, right? He's come out. He said, hey, black lives matter. And there's this stupid debate between all lives matter and black lives matter. Which one are we supposed to say? All these things. And I, I don't understand why people are offended by black lives matter. It doesn't make sense to me. People just like to complain about things, I suppose. But I, I just think that these white coaches, they're showing a lot of support for their players. But if, you're, if your guys want to go out and they want to go to these protests, you can't say anything. You can't say, hey, I need you to stay on campus. Like, this is bigger than college football right now. Because like you said, Root, this country – is divided and people are protesting and rioting and the issues that are causing that, you know, kind of origins of all of this are bigger than whether or not a guy stays in his dorm room at night. Now that can create some very interesting situations for some of these college football players, but I think the coaches are going to support them. I think they should support them because I know for me, this this hasn't been like a difficult time. It's been difficult to watch, but I, I've just been able to take a step back and try to listen and educate myself as much as possible. Educate all these yourself. white people, all these white people that are trying to understand what it's like to be black. Guess what? I've got news for you. You're never going to understand as hard as you try. Like you're never going to understand. I got a question, Gabe. What are you trying to educate yourself on? Like as far as what? So I, I read a lot, right? So I just want to be as educated as I can on prejudice, injustice, kind of the policing system. You know, then that's a different story. But I, I think the more I can understand, especially modern situations, that are working against the black people in the, this country, the more I understand that, the better. Now, I'm not going to be the white guy that's coming out and saying a bunch of stuff because, I, frankly, I just don't know if uh, a bunch of black people want to hear a white guy that's been well off his entire life just rattling stuff off. I, I don't know how much good that does. I, I, I want to do what I can. I, mean, like, I could be, be the black guy that rattles off all the stuff that, affects the black community, but nobody really talks about it. And this, this whole, 
the whole thing of this is kind of like everybody say Black Lives Matter, but then won't do there will not be a protest when an innocent young kid is killed in a drive-by or whenever the 200 people that's been shot in, in Chicago. The thing about it is I lived in, I lived in a neighborhood. I lived in the hood. I've lived in bad places. I've seen people watch kids get sold drugs or get told, Hey man, go sell this, go drop this off over here. You're in high school. They, they, they pull kids in and other people sit there and watch it, watch them pull kids in and make a, a drug infested neighborhood that promote that brings in cops to come there and always try to take drugs off the street or go and get guns off the street and all that stuff. That's, that's a bad part. That's the bad part of it. And then you talk about education school wise. If you put, I mean, you've, I've heard you talk about world star on, on, um, on the radio, you turn on world star, they're fighting in classes. They're cussing out teachers. They're, I mean, Nobody wants to wants to teach at the school because education is not important at home. And then all those things are all combined into one and it's just making a big old, it's all just festering right here. And one guy, I mean, the man that got murdered by a cop is one small thing in comparison to all these lives that's over here that is just getting lost. If, it's, if you're talking about black, a lot of black lives, you want to say, a lot of black lives, right? You want to try to say as many as much as you can. Well, a white cop murdering somebody is something that needs to have a justice for as well. But you also need to save these other kids that are coming up. And those kids are not being saved. They're not even being taught. There are, there's a lot of 16, 17 year olds. I mean, I watch videos on, I watch a video on Worldstar from a guy in Philadelphia where an older man telling these young 16-year-old kids to go and fight and throw stuff at cops. That's not saving a community. That's not teaching the kids a better way. And with that even being said, there's all these other underlying issues. And I'm, I'm saying myself that police brutality, police murder on Black people, police hunting Black people, I think when they say that they're hunting us, that is so far numbers wise, data wise from the truth. Cause I don't ever feel hunted walking out of my door. I don't ever feel like a victim running out of my door. I never want anybody to look at me and have sympathy on, sympathy on me for the color of my skin. And that's where it makes me feel whenever, when, a, when a white person comes up to me, how can I learn? How can I educate? For what? What do you need to educate yourself for? I'm, I'm just like you. I walk around here normal like everybody else. And people that come out there and walk out the door feeling victim to everything, feeling like you're, we have, as a black person, I feel like we have more boogeymen than anybody. White privilege is a boogeyman that lives in the back of the black man's head. The cops coming over here that lives is a boogeyman in the black man's head. This over here, it's all these things that you have to be scared of when you walk outside because of the color of your skin. When most people you walk around with don't care. When I walk into an office and go and do sales, they don't say, well, my white privilege is gonna stop him from walking in here. No, I walk in because I'm a confident black male. The guys that are on the, at, at the University of Oklahoma, some of the players, they'll leave OU as confident black males. It's the non-confident black males that cause confrontation and the non-confident white males that cause confrontation with black males. And they, 
and it's just a push pull. And as a male walking in this, as a male uh, walking into America, walking around in America, sometimes if you're a big guy, you just look imposing. But for black people, they can't feel like they're always looked at as a monster. See the cops, black people, they say, well, it's the cops, the cops thinks we're monsters. And then they tell black people, you need to be afraid of the cops. So which one typically, I mean, I don't even really get how we get, how we got, we've gotten to this point in the past, but here it just kind of continue to grow on when we have more opportunities as black people to do more in life and be successful in life. And we just don't take advantage of a lot of the things. And we allow the people to tell us what to be afraid of every day we walk out of the door, every day. And then you're so hypervigilant on race. Everything plays a race part in everything that you do. I, I look, Gabe, I look at you. I don't look at you as some white privileged dude. I just look at some dude that went to OU that worked hard, busted his ass. Same thing when I see Ted. I see some, man, a fast, a fast dude that came <laughs> that could really, that can run like that. Fast white boy. I've never seen this. I've never seen a white dude run that fast. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But all y'all worked y'all ass off. Even when I saw, I've seen Lance, I've seen Abner Estrada, who was a big old Mexican, biggest Mexican kid I've ever seen. But I've never said like, oh man, I'm not going to be cool with this person. Everybody comes from so many different places, man. And the confidence you have is just how you, how you carry yourself. And they got people out here being so afraid of everything. And I, I, like I remember when I came to OU, I wasn't very good at public speaking, but we went to that damn public speaking class in, in top of the damn, by the, the, uh, the hell, wherever the hell it was, where we had the study hall. And I'll go in there and you'd learn public speaking and talk all the time and learn how to articulate yourself and stuff. You, you, gotta, you gotta, I think kids and everybody, black, white, and Mexican have to learn how to be more educated in how they carry themselves and carry themselves with confidence. Not like some person that's just afraid of everything. And people do bad things out of fright. Take off running. Reach for something because they're scared. They do all in a cop. Come up to a car. Like, say if you have your windows tinted. A cop comes up to a car not knowing if he had his hand on his gun. Right? I'm not going to come up to a car that has all his windows up whenever you pull up to somebody. That's scary. Because you never know who's a fugitive, who's a felon, who has drugs, who's doing something. They have families too. So you got to understand the fright of being a cop. Go through, go to one of those, one of these cop things and, and go through one of these assimilations where they got to wear the goggles and do all the, the things where you come up on cars and stuff and somebody starts shooting at you. They, people think, well, it's a video game. No, that's real life. That's what they go through all the time. That's what they have to think all the time. And, and People don't get both sides of it. And I look and I see both sides. I have friends that are cops. I have black male friends that's been, I have friends that's been killed. I have a friend that committed murder and he's out on bail. And he's cool. He's chilling. It, it just don't, man, it's just both sides. It's not, a, it's not a perfect way of handling the whole situation at all. Yeah, man, that was good, dude. Well said. That's, uh, I mean, there's a lot to digest there. Uh, one thing, uh, I do think we all felt a sense of pride, you know, seeing these kids from OU and OSU step up and say things. And, 
Trey Young was really cool, man. Trey Young's thing was really cool. Trey Young's speech. Big time. The whole thing in Norman was done well. I thought it was. Stillwater, too. Uh, The one in Stillwater was done really well. They were, it was, everyone had their voices heard. It wasn't violent. I know people were worried that it was supposed to be that way late at night, but. It wasn't. Yeah, right. it was great. You, like what Chan Selby said, too. Chan Selby gave out some really, really good key things as to what can change. I mean, uh, he, he presented a four-part plan for police reform. I mean, he put it out on his Twitter. And then, you know, Justin Broyles, he spoke at one of the pro- protests, and he preached the importance of education well, and the importance of voting, uh, just like you did, Rufus. Now, I know a lot of people feel very differently about this issue, but uh, I thought it was important, uh, you know, to have Rufus on because I know how strong the opinions you are, you know, the opinions you have are. And I'll just, like, I'll just take the attacks. I mean, I really don't care. I mean, people will come at you and attack you. It's like Drew Brees saying what it feels like to, for the national anthem for him. What, how he improve, how he looks at, it. and then his star receiver comes and attacks him the other way. It's his opinion of how he views things. We can't have opinions anymore about this situation. Well, people just need to stop talking about it because nobody can be on the opposite opinion of somebody else. Supposedly, this race change is supposed to be the way everybody's supposed to think. This protest is supposed to be everywhere, the way everybody's supposed to take. Everybody's supposed to be on that side. And if he's like, well, I'm just, I'm sad it happened. I'm just not a part of the protest or whatever. You get killed for it. You get absolutely hammered. And I, that's so, I, I, people should not have to live in fear. And people are living in fear now. Well, Rude, that was, uh, that was some insightful stuff, man. And you know, the stuff about football was good too. You, you, you're pretty good at talking about that, but <laughs> the, uh, that, that's a, that's a perspective that, you know, frankly, Teddy and I, we, we just don't have. So uh, I really appreciate you sharing that I, with I will us. Say that, I mean, I think that's the cool thing about like college football for, I think for a lot of guys, it's the first time you come out of your comfort zone and are around people that that come from different walks that you've never been exposed to. Like for me, I, I went from Bishop McGinnis to the OU locker room. The the demographics and dynamics are slightly different. I assume they're the same for Gibson. Yeah, it's the same for me. I'm, I mean, I went to I was from a small town, and like I go, my roommate on the road my freshman year is Torrance Marshall, and you take. Uh, you take me from a small town in the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma, Torrance Marshall from Miami, Florida, and put us together. And I was like, I, I mean, it was, it was like the greatest learning experience ever. My first year at OU was just, was fantastic. You don't know how to feel at first. You kind of walk into the locker room. It's like, am I in the right place? And then before you know it, it's your home. And you're completely comfortable around those guys. It's, it's a great experience. You think if the, the whole world could be that way, if you could put everybody that has a problem in a room by themselves and let, let everything figure itself out, you may have a fight a few days. Then after that, I mean, somebody going to come together, hey, look, man, we got to figure out a way to get out of this or whatever. I just want the whole world to come together and be at peace and just not 
hate each other. And the hate just kind of hurt. It hurts to watch people hate each other. Mm-hmm. And it's so bad, man. I, 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 I'm glad I have I played at OU and I, I had brothers that I'm real cool with, black, white, still friends with till this day. And it just hurts to watch everybody just hurting all, all around the world. It's, it hurts to watch that man get killed in the middle of the street on video and nobody comes to help or push a cop something just to watch that man take his last breath hurts so bad. But it doesn't hurt enough for me to go hurt somebody else's business, somebody else's livelihood and all that stuff. It don't hurt that much for me to go and fight and take somebody's life. It doesn't hurt that much for me to go and throw a brick at a cop. But I will, I will, pro, I will, I will go and protest and try to educate anybody that wants to know about their community and how to change their community. I'm down for that. I'm down for town hall meetings where you teach people, this is how we affect change. This is how we do things different. We are not stopped from voting now. Our voices can be heard in better ways. And these, this way of burning and burning the village down like Robin Hood is not the way to do it. Let's do it the smart, the smart way and the way that benefits everybody and it's safer. All right, Rue. Appreciate right, your time, man. That was uh, that was spectacular, bro. All right, I'll holler at you guys later. See you, man. All right, man. See you. Appreciate Rufus Alexander joining us. Man, did he have a lot to say? And I, I figured he he would, Ted. And that's that's why we gave our man Rufus a call and and gave him a platform to get all that off his chest. I I think our listeners are going to enjoy that. Yeah, I, it's you know I watch uh, I watch Rufus on social media quite a bit, and he does not hold back. He lays never. it out there. Uh, you you never are unsure how Rufus sits on uh, an issue. He's always right there, cuts straight to the core of it, doesn't dance around anything. That was fantastic stuff. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure some of our listeners will disagree with some of the things he said, but. Once again, this is about people having these discussions and making them productive and realizing that some people don't think the way that you think it, and that's okay. It's okay to associate yourself with people that think differently than you do. Um, now, before we get to our segments, a quick roundup of the biggest news across the country in college football. A couple interesting stories real quick. Justin Ross. Uh, stud wide receiver for Clemson. He's out for the year, maybe done for his career with congenital fusion of the spine. He is going to have surgery on his spine. It, you just hate to see when a guy that, that is as talented as Justin Ross goes through something. I, I don't know what to say, Ted, other than uh, I hope that that surgery is successful and that we can see that young man on the football field again because, man, was he fun to watch. Yeah, you know, I don't know much about that injury. It's one of the few that I've never (laughs) – as a football player, we're all uh, just a a fraction of an inch away from being orthopedic surgeons. But, you know, this is not one that I know much about. It sounds scary. That's how I'll put it. Sounds really scary. Um, I, I guess they don't know of anyone that's ever had the surgery and come back and, and played football. So mm. 
we'll see, you know, it doesn't look good, but, you know, surgeries progress pretty quickly. You know, um, I had a Liz Frank surgery in 2005. So like, I, I hurt my foot in the game. I, helped, I heard a pop. Um, I thought I broke a bone in the middle of my foot. They went and x-rayed it. No broken bone. I had them tape it up there on the sideline. I was going to go try and play, but <laughs> I couldn't even move on it. It was stupid to even have it taped up. You but tried. You I tried. Thought it was a, thought it was a midfoot sprain. Well, I go to the doctor. He does some special X-rays where I'm where it's weight bearing, and I'm expecting like okay, it's going to be three weeks. It's going to be four weeks. You know, kind of the standard deal. And he comes in and he says. I think if we do the surgery now, there's a chance you may play football again. And like my heart fell out of my chest. It was it like slammed me in the face. I had no idea. And at that point, Liz Frank surgery was extremely rare. Um, you know, they typically only saw them in car accidents when people have their foot on the brake and the car smashes back or people get their foot caught in stirrups on a horse. And it's it, it, with the new turf and players getting bigger and, and faster and more explosive, they started to be more routine. And that was kind of like I was on kind of the front edge of where that started. And now, and for me, it was, it was almost pretty much a full year, but I wasn't right really ever again. And now I'm not going to say that's a common surgery, but everyone comes back and plays again. Right. You know, unless there's some type of complication with the surgery, everyone comes back from that. So the point is, I know the surgery doesn't have a great history. There's not that many of them that I know of. But uh, the good thing is surgery's come a long way and, and progresses better and better yearly with the better technology. So he's got a chance. Yep. Just wish him the best. Um, and if he ever plays football again, hey, there's – there's bigger and better things you can do with your life, Justin Ross. Um, uh, we're rooting for you, though. Uh, another big story, Notre Dame Navy has been moved from Dublin. Uh, I don't think anyone is surprised that that game is not going to get played in Ireland. But the interesting part, for the first time in its 94-year history, it will be played at Annapolis. And – I had to double check and triple check and make sure that right. I still don't believe that. I really don't. But if you're a Notre Dame fan, you're already worried about playing a triple option team because, like I always say, the triple option is a tool of Satan. It is. Uh, yeah, I said it. But now you got to go and play them in their own building. Who knows what the stands will look like, right? But that is not a game I want any part of if I'm Notre Dame now. I, I agree with you. Here's my thing, though. Um, and I don't know what the law is in Ireland, but I know that like, when I looked earlier today, like, the entire country, Ireland, has like, you know, 2,000 active cases of coronavirus and the state of Maryland has like 38,000 active cases 
Math is not important here, Daddy. So, yet again, I'm looking at something and I'm saying, how is it safer to take a game from an area that has far fewer cases and play it in a place that has far more cases? I still don't understand. Probably, I, I'm, I'm going to go with, it, it has to do with the travel aspect. That's that's what I'm guessing, right? Because you got to travel, you got to go stay at a hotel, the whole thing. I'm sure they were going to go for what, probably a full week since it was the opener. Um, but yeah, that it, w- once again, you bring up a good point, sir. I, I just, I, it, I feel like, like and, and it may be that Ireland has said, we are not hosting. Yeah, like any- you're not welcome. Right, yeah, we don't want you to bring that. Don't, it may That's be more about us it. than it is them. <laughs> That's probably it. Their right. Ireland's probably like, ah, no, we're good. You guys stay keep, over there. You keep that evil on your side of the pond. And, yeah. and then uh, one more and the most interesting, in my opinion, one more story in college football. Arizona State's punter, Michael Turk, got granted a special waiver from the NCAA to come back to school and play another year. Now, the reason it's so weird is he had declared for the NFL draft. He had hired agents. He had gone through the draft and gone undrafted. He didn't get signed as an undrafted free agent. But they are allowing to come back to school. And at this point in time, we're all trying to figure out why. And it, it makes me think it it's coronavirus related because he couldn't go to any tryouts. You know how specialists are in the NFL, Teddy. Very rarely do you actually get drafted. Guys get jobs by going to tryouts, getting them into camps, and that's how they win jobs. He wasn't able to go to any tryouts, so he didn't get signed. But I couldn't believe it when I saw that the NCAA had granted him a special waiver. Is this the first one of these that starts a trend. I, I'm not going to believe that until I see it, but there's been this argument about letting undrafted college football players come back and play. And that's exactly Harbaugh. what the NCAA, that's exactly that, what the NCAA just did with this punter. Yeah. I think Jim Harbaugh is the one that brought it up uh, yeah. pretty recently that, that he was on board with something like this. You want to hear my loophole theory on this? Oh, hell yeah. The loophole is, and this is good lawyer work, this is, this is the way I would have done it if I was a lawyer. The, the rules currently are for football players. And since he's a punter and not a football player, <laughs> oh, gosh. He, is not, uh, he, he is not subject to the same rules as the rest of the guys in, uh, in college football. So... Even though he's on the team, has a helmet, a uniform, and everything, he's not a football player. Therefore, you know, he can come back and and get another year after not going drafted. Your utter disdain (laughs) for kickers and punters (laughs) never ceases to amaze me. But at least you're consistent. At least you're consistent. So I don't know. It's fascinating. Like, honestly, it's like – It caught everyone – off guard going to it. I mean, everyone was going, wait, wait, what? Maybe we got a rogue player, a, someone, a rogue actor in the NCAA office there that's just going to go ahead and let that one slide, set the precedent, 
it's like at this point, you know, everyone's going to be looking back at that. So I don't know. All right. Since it's Thursday, uh, we are going to, of course, wet the beak. And this version of wet the beak is going to be a wet the beak football guys talking basketball hybrid because Woj put out the details, baby of the NBA's return. Now it's going to be July 31st and October to October 12th. We're still really not sure why it's all the way to July 31st. We still think it's player driven. That's got to be it. That's got to be it. Adam Silver, he wants to throw the players a, a bone because frankly, they're going to have to renegotiate that CBA for next year and that is going to get very very ugly and he wants mm-hmm. all the positive capital he can have with those players going into those negotiations. But here are the details of the NBA's return. You're going to have 13 teams in the Western Conference, nine in the Eastern Conference. Each team that is there in Orlando is going to play eight regular season games to get tuned up for the playoffs. Now they will play the eight games that are on the schedule from when NBA play was suspended. If a team that is on your schedule isn't in Orlando, they're not one of the 22, then you move on to the next game in your schedule. That's what it sounded like to me. Mm -hmm. So the interesting part about it is the eighth and ninth seeds. If the ninth seed is more than four games behind the eighth, then the eighth seed goes to the playoffs. It's simple, right? It's clean. It's easy. If the ninth seed is less than four games behind the eighth seed, then there's going to be a play-in tournament requiring double elimination for the eighth seed and single elimination for the ninth seed. That's wrong. Double elimination for the ninth seed, single elimination for the eighth seed. No, that's wrong. The other way around. I don't know which one. I know the ninth seed can only lose once. The eighth seed can lose twice. I don't know what I'm saying at this point in time. But when you look at it, that could be kind of fun, especially if there's a couple teams tied for the ninth seed. Maybe they end with the same record. Then those teams play head-to-head to play the eighth seed. I'm assuming that's how it would work. But, Teddy, I'm all about this little play-in wrinkle. I like it. I like it. It's, I think it's going to add an extra layer. The, it's going to be such a short little eight, eight game regular season um, gearing up. That it adds an, an extra little wrinkle there. If, uh, if you're the ninth seed, you've got a real opportunity to make it in. Um, you know, you would have had an opportunity to maybe get hot during the, the actual season before everything got pushed back. So I think it's pretty cool. Um, you know, who knows what we see in the Eastern Conference? We may not even have a play-in tournament um, the way that one looks. Yeah, I don't but, think the Wizards are are going to show up in Orlando all right. of a sudden as world beaters. Not seeing that coming. Yeah, so I, it's going to be interesting. But the Western Conference is going to be it's going to be wild because even though there's only eight games left, there's some like for the Thunder. There's some really important games there just in that eight that they have coming up, and there can be some movement in the in the standings. And one thing to not forget: there's no home court advantage, despite some rumors that maybe the NBA teams will be shipping their courts there, which seems completely unnecessary. But okay, do what you got to do. But they could be chi- cheaper just to ship the players there to play it, right? Yeah. <laughs> it would just ship the, the floor. I, I, did, I saw that report and I was like, that just seems 
like too much, <laughs> but when you look at it and you think about it, I'm not going to be shocked if some teams that are going to be in Orlando look at the standings and do some sort of analytical study and talk with the players and say, who do you want to play? Who do you want in the first round? Because, frankly, home court advantage doesn't mean jack shit in this scenario, right? You're going to be playing in an empty stadium. Now, maybe some of your family members are there. Great. It's not going to matter. So I think some teams may, you know, roll out some gamesmanship. Maybe that's the way I'll put it, to where they identify the matchup they want and they try to make it happen. And I think there's going to be multiple teams that do that. Now they're going to say, oh, we're rusty. We're still tuning up, right? But all of a sudden, there's going to be four starters on the bench in the fourth quarter, and you're going, hmm, that seems strange. Right. I, I don't know. It's Or maybe I'm thinking too much. Maybe they, they're just trying to get to the best point because they've been off for so long. Maybe I'm just thinking too much. Maybe I'm just crazy. I don't think so. It, when something is as short as this is going to be, and, you know, everything's kind of compressed. Right now, everyone's got to be in the lab trying to think of how they can game this to get any type of little advantage that they can, uh, whether it's it's rest time or who would they prefer to win if they're settled into a, a playoff spot. I, I don't know. I mean, there's – it's a new the, – it's the strange thing about this. is completely new, so we don't really know what to expect, but – I imagine there is going to be some strategy involved as to who they want to play, when they want to play. When you throw out the the home court advantage and you're all going to be playing in the same place, maybe you would rather see uh, someone different in the first or second round than you typically would. You know, there there are some places that are just difficult to play that are incredibly loud, that are intense, and there's teams whose home record is – completely lopsidedly better than it is where they're on the road. And those may be the teams that you want to see. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you, I, I you think, think about, fascinating. you think about teams like Utah and Denver where teams have to come play in the alt altitude or a, a team in the Eastern conference, like Miami, where all the guys get wasted and go to the strip clubs the night before the game. So they have an incredible home record. Like uh, yeah. those things go away. So, uh, let's get to the wet the beak uh, yeah. part of this. So with the schedule picking up where it left off, the Thunders eight games are as follows. I've got the Jazz, the Wizards, the Grizzlies, the Nuggets, the Heat, the Nuggets, the Suns, and the Clippers. So when you look at the 22 teams that are there, schedule isn't horrible. Uh, I mean, not, not bad. You're you're not playing the Lakers, the Bucks. You're not playing the the best teams. So, but it, it's not an easy schedule. But Teddy, Jazz, Wizards, Grizzlies, Nuggets, Heat, Nuggets, Suns, Clippers. That's eight. Over under four wins for the Thunder in those eight games. I'm going over, and maybe I'm way too optimistic here. Jazz. I think it's going to be a win. Now, how awkward is it going to be 
guarding uh, Gobert in the low post, even though like it's been three months, and by the time they play this thing, it's going to be like eight months since he had the coronavirus, it's still going to be a little bit strange. In the back of guys' minds, like, ugh, do I want to touch this guy? Ugh, I'm not sure. <laughs> so that's going to be strange, but I think they beat the Jazz. Um, I think they beat the Wizards. I think they beat the Grizzlies. Now, I think they're going to split with the Nuggets. So Seems I'll right. Give them, give them an L there. The Heat... I didn't watch the Heat play much. I'm giving them the W. Um, like I said, maybe I'm being a little too, too – not, uh, not a big Tyler Hero guy. Okay, got it. Um, and then I said split with the Nuggets, so they win the next uh, game with the Nuggets and then beat the, the Suns and lose to the Clippers. So I got to win it six out of eight. Ooh, hammering so, the over. Hammering the over. Um, the Clippers – I got to tell you, man, I think this played out perfectly for the Clippers. Had some injury issues throughout the season. They, you know, um, it, we didn't get to see them all play together a whole heck of a lot. There was so much rest thrown in and Paul George and all that. I think because of the extended period, I think defense is going to be uh, more of a factor. I, I just don't think everyone's going to be clicking offensively like they typically would throughout the, the long regular season. Everyone's shot, maybe not going to be there in live action like it is during the regular season. So I think there's going to be a big premium on defense. And I think the, the Clippers are going to be set up really nicely to maybe surprise some folks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not that big of a surprise. but Yeah, I, I wouldn't exactly call it a surprise, but right. healthy Paul George, healthy Kawhi. And as much as people hate him, Patrick Beverly, hey. a solid defender. I mean, they they have be, before all of this happened, there were stretches during games during the season where they looked like head and shoulders the best defensive team in the league. So it'll be interesting to see. And my worry with the Thunder is, you know, they had they had gotten hot. You know, uh, they were playing really good basketball. They were they were really starting to click. Can they recapture all of that? I don't not necessarily magic, but that chemistry and pick up where they left off. The other thing is like, what, what's a guy like Robertson going to do? Is he going to be able to factor in? What have they said about that? I haven't I haven't heard a word about him. So uh, they've been extremely cautious with him. I can't imagine that all of a sudden in this you know eight game stint and then the playoff run they're going to bring him back. Uh, I, I think they probably view it as too risky. And, man, it's been a long time. i got to tell you. Andre I just, Robertson. I, I, I don't know if we'll ever see him play again. I hope we do. But I'm not going to believe it till I see it, man. I like the guy, but I can't, I can't watch another three-pointer from him. <laughs> I can't. Well, I don't think you're going to see him on Orlando, Ted. So, I think, I, I think you're safe. His three-point shot looks like a trebuchet going off. I mean, it's cocked all the way back, and then it's the hey worst man, shot. If it went in, I wouldn't care, but it, it, it looks like a trebuchet. First of all, great <laughs> word of what, like a medieval catapult term? How about you? Exactly. Look at you go. That's right. And yeah, I, I wouldn't care if it went in, but um, if, if anyone remembers when he did play basketball, it, it, it didn't go in. Very much. 
very often. We can it, we can again. pay him ten million dollars to defend a guy for three possessions at the end of a game. You know? Hey, if it gets you wins, who cares? <laughs> All right. right. Let's move on to our winners and losers of the week. Like our man Toby Key says, we got winners, we got losers. Ted, who's you, who do you have as your winner of the week? The winner, it's the ladies. I'm telling you, my son, five years old, today took his first hip-hop dance class, Gabe. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, okay, um, explain. Yeah, so – I I don't know many of the fine details. Someone my wife knows posted something and asked if anyone would be, their kids would be interested in taking a hip hop dance class. She asked my son to our surprise. He said, sure, that sounds fun. (laughs) And she took him today and apparently he had a blast. So we could have the next Justin Timberlake right here in the house. How I, now I have questions, and I, I've had the pleasure of hanging with Edward a couple of times. Mm-hmm. How were how the vocals? How are the pipes on my man, little Ed? Can, can he sing? Because that's, if he can dance, that, that's very important. But I, I feel like the most important thing is that he can sing. Is it? I mean, is it really the that's most true. important thing? I, I feel like... I mean, Britney Spears made it far, but she was also a beautiful woman. Right. So you, you just need Edward to start doing like a lot of abs. He's got some good looks. He's charming. But right now, I'd say he's severely lacking both in the singing department. And I know it was just day one, but the dance skills, like when I say he's starting on the ground floor, he is starting on the ground floor. Does he dance like his dad was a linebacker? Uh, No, he dances like his dad dances, which, yeah, it's painful. Well, it just re- just remind him that it's the effort that counts. Well, here's if, the if thing. you bring the energy to the dance floor, people will respect you. That's my whole mentality to, when it comes. It, you see me on a wedding dance floor, you're you're not going to be like that guy's a great dancer, but you're going to be like that guy is bringing it, so I respect him. That's right. Here's the secret that a lot of people really don't know. Girls don't really care if you can dance. They just love a guy that's confident enough to get out there and have fun no matter what anyone thinks. And let me tell you something. My son has that in spades right now. There we go. And he is letting it fly. I love it. I love it. Who who you got as your loser of the week? It's got to be Clemson. It Mm. has to be Clemson. We talked about the injury to Justin Ross, their best wide receiver. And it looks like maybe he's not coming back. They're probably going to be able to replace him. But when you add uh, Justin Ross's injury with Dabo Sweeney's Sermon on the mound. Yeah, that a lot of people really did not think too highly of. Also, you throw in the story, and I guess this happened a while ago, but everyone's just now learning about it. Ooh, a coach yeah. uh, using the N-word out on the practice field with a player. Uh, this is not the right week for that to come out. So I mean, frankly, there's not that, – that, that just it, – it shouldn't happen. I mean, right. it shouldn't happen. That, that should never happen. Um, there's no good week for that to come out because that's bullshit that it happened. I, I, I'm shocked that guy's still on the staff, Teddy. I know. That's kind of How? what I – I don't know how he's still on the staff. 
number one. Number two. How did he not get his ass kicked? Okay. Number three. How did no one ever – because this was all the way back, what, 2017, I believe? How did we never – you know, typically that stuff, like, would find its way out pretty quickly somehow, some way. Yeah, it's not like 2007. This is 2017. It's like a couple years ago. Right. So, yeah, I I was – when I saw that, I was like, ooh, boy, Clemson, uh, not a very good week right now. So, they're my loser. Mm. Yeah, uh, that's a good one. Uh, my winner of the week, NFL players. Uh, number one, they're still not at facilities. They're not having to go through OTAs. They're getting to do their own thing. They're chilling. They're doing their workouts. They're living the good life. But it count, comes out that no one is going to have to go anywhere for training camp. Now, I know that the Steelers said and that they might still go, and I've actually participated in a joint practice where the Steelers do training camp. And I don't know why they would want to go there, but okay, be my guess. But, you know, Dallas said they're not going to Oxnard. Uh, The Panthers said they're not going to Wofford College there in South Carolina. And not only are teams going to do training camp at their facilities, which is so much more convenient than going somewhere, there's not going to be any joint practices. No joint practices, Ted. I don't know if you took part in any of those, but I did. Uh, when I was with the Titans, we went down to Atlanta, practiced against the Falcons. When I was with the Lions, we went and practiced against Pittsburgh before we played them in the preseason. It is fucking terrible. And all it is is a gigantic fight waiting to happen. And it's, it's awful. I, I'm so happy for these NFL guys. They're definitely the winner of the week. It's not much unlike the protest once the sun goes down and the rioting starts. It's kind of what happens uh, with the – you just know there's a spark. There's no rules. So I went with with Jacksonville to Atlanta as well. And it was – actually, there was was, uh, three teams there. Tennessee was there. We were there. Oh, three-way? Yeah. And it's always because, awkward when it's a three-way. Because always, at least at first. Um, Vandenbosch was there. and <laughs> Did during, he make eye contact with you? <laughs> no, but he made literal contact with a quarterback in oh. nine on seven. What? The quarterback hands the ball off, and he obliterates him right in the back. It was, it was a backup quarterback that was just handed it off in nine on seven. Literally trying, like, the point was to start a fight, and it happened. <laughs> it was crazy. And that it was, was successful. That was the first snap of nine on seven of what, I think it was a three-day uh, No three day way. <laughs> yeah. Let's set the tone, boys. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my gosh. That, I, I bet that was a miserable three days. Uh, my loser of the week – I was going to pile on Major League Baseball again, um, but I'm kind of t- tired of talking about it simply because I, I know that the owners rejected their 114-game proposal. Of course they did, and now uh, the rumors are, hey, maybe it's a last resort, 50-game schedule, and maybe Rob Manfred has the power to set the schedule. It seems like that's up in the air. Will the players not play if that's the case? 
I'm done with the MLB. So they're not going to be my loser of the week because uh, until something happens, I'm ignoring them. I'm I'm boycotting baseball until something productive happens. So that takes me to my real loser of the week, Ted, a Spanish porn star named Nacho Vidal. Yes, you heard me correctly. Spanish porn star. Nacho. Um, Now, Nacho Vidal. Yes, Nacho. Nacho (laughs) Vidal uh, likes to advertise his aromatic candles, which happen to be shaped like male genitalia. You can find these on his Twitter that he sells. Uh, But our man Nacho had a rough week and is the loser of the week because he has been arrested on manslaughter charges following a man's death during a mystic ritual in which he inhaled psychedelic toad venom. Any questions? It, uh, any que- You got questions? <laughs> um, I got, yeah, I got questions. A ritual? Yes. Um, a, a ritual. Um, so the police operation began following the victim's death during the celebration of a mystic ritual based on the inhalation of venom of the Bufu alvarius toad. The toad, a rare species which is native to the Sonoran Desert, stretching from northern Mexico into California and Arizona, secretes venom containing a very powerful natural psychedelic substance known as 5-MeO-DMT. Wow. Huh. Yeah. And following an 11-month inquiry, police arrested our man Nacho, uh, one of his relatives, and an employee on suspicion of manslaughter and crimes against public health. Hmm. Well, that's fascinating. Um, hey, all I can say is if you're going to ritual, ritual safely, okay? Have a spotter if you're going to do the toad venom thing. And uh, be careful out there, ladies and gentlemen. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, I thought it was a little more interesting than bashing Major League Baseball some more. Well, um, so we'll see how it works out for our man Nacho. I'm sure he'll receive due process, right? They're in Spain. It'll be fine. What's going to happen with the candle business, you think? I, someone's <laughs> going to have to take it over. I, mean, <laughs> I, I would just feel bad because I don't know what Nacho's inventory of the penis candles is like, but, I mean, if he's got a bunch sitting in a warehouse somewhere collecting dust, like, he's – I mean, those things aren't going to sell themselves, Ted. So uh, maybe he turns over the candle enterprise to a close friend, an acquaintance, perhaps, in Spain. Maybe maybe this is an opportunity to buy the business cheap and they'll start selling them at Dillard's or something. Hey, quick question, Teddy. Um, have you ever been interested in owning a candle business? I'll go, hey, 50-50. 50-50. Now, I don't know how successful this candle business is, so maybe we're biting off more than we could chew with these penis candles. No pun intended. Um, I uh, Never been interested in the candle business. And if I was going to start, I'd probably start with a different shaped candle. 
it's just to it's just to see how it goes uh, at first. I mean, that's like you're diving all the way in at that point. That's fair. That's fair. You're but you're scared, but okay, whatever. I guess maybe there is a market out there for people that say, "Hey, I want you know what we could really use around the house, a candle, but not just any candle." I don't know. There must be a market for it. I I have a feeling he sold a lot of them. I mean, it's and very on the brand. other thing. You know, uh, the penis candle. I feel like it's as soon as you light it, it turns into a normal shaped candle, right? Well, I would assume it, it depends. It, it all depends on how the wick burns <laughs> and where it craters because really it could just turn it because if you put a little divot, say we're, you know, I – we can talk about this anatomically and maturely where your pee hole is. If you put the wick there, then wouldn't it just burn in a pattern where it's still a penis candle, but just with a big deep pee hole. (laughs) I mean, I, I mean, yes, it's going to have to be. That's how I'm envisioning it. At least it's going to have to be a, a, a big candle. If you know what I mean for that to take place. Yeah. Hey, I'm sure our man Nacho wasn't rolling out small candles, you know? Yeah. He was in the business. You know, all they right. say all candles are not sized equally. It's all about the effort. It's all about the effort. If I've learned anything in life. <laughs> now, uh, let's finish like we always do, Ted, and that's with everyone's favorite segment, Keeping It Local, where we highlight what's going on in the great state of Oklahoma. And with everything that went on, you know, over the weekend and throughout this week, I, I – I thought it was important to highlight a place, a a nonprofit in Oklahoma City called Dress for Success Oklahoma City. Um, It's a place that I've actually driven by many, many times. And it was destroyed in a fire set during protests over the weekend. And it is a nonprofit that provides free business wear, job training, uh, career assistance, and other things for women in the community and all the clothes they have that they let women use were burned. Uh, 20 computers that had been donated to their nonprofit melted in the fire. And right now they're not accepting clothing clearly because they they don't have any space. Uh, They're looking for a new location, but I, I think that keeping it locals, a spot in our podcast where, when people kind of need help in the community here in the state of Oklahoma, we can bring some awareness to it. And that's why I wanted to let you guys know that you can help dress for success. Oklahoma city, get back on their feet uh, by donating to the GoFundMe on the organization's Facebook page, or you can go to their website, dressforsuccessokc.org. If you can help, please do uh, because it's, it's a great nonprofit, and, and you hate to see, Ted, a, a nonprofit that is serving, you know, the underprivileged in this community uh, wind up in this situation. It just, it's one of those things where you look at it and you go, really? That doesn't make any damn sense. Right. Well, I mean, I, I think that's, the, that's some of the stuff that's frustrated a lot of people with the whole situation. You're looking at, at some of these businesses that have been looted, burned, destroyed, 
And it's like, well, hang on a second. Do you have any idea who owns that, who operates that, um, who works there, the people that aren't going to have a job now? And you take a, something like this and, you know, this is just a local one. There's all, there's countless uh, stores like this all across the country, which is right. sad. And I think this is a, a fantastic uh, organization, nonprofit. It's one that off the top of your head that you wouldn't think about. But once you do see it, you're like, that makes so much sense that, you know, a lot of people just, you know, don't have the attire, don't have the means for the attire, uh, some quick little training and the ability to, to put on something that you can go into an interview and feel confident in and comfortable in is, is just priceless. So very frustrating. But if I know the people of Oklahoma City, it won't be long before Dress for Success is back up on their feet with uh, a bunch of people from the community pouring in a ton of help. Yeah, and I think I saw, I want to say it was like their chairman speaking on, uh, maybe it was Channel 5, and she 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 had a great message. She was like, hey, Dress for Success, it, it, it's not a building. It, it's, not a, it's not the clothes. It, it's not the computers. It's the people. And I thought that that was, that was a really cool message that she put out there. So if you want to help Dress for Success Oklahoma City, you can visit dressforsuccessokc.org. Ted, let's finish with a Twitter question, and it's a good one. It's a good one, and I think it's going to cause you some deep thinking. <laughs> it's a football one, and it comes from okay. Jason Bush, at jasonbush Twenty Eight. He says, if there was one game you could relive slash replay, what game and why? High school, college, or pro? Hmm. Well, it has to be the 2003 National Championship game against Louisiana State University. There's other games that were – just as frustrating, even more so, um, more embarrassing, you know, just other bad games. But there's no other games that if you replay it and you win it, you get a national championship ring. So that's the easy pick. But there's other games that make me incredibly angry. Um Oklahoma State games, two of them, 01 and 02. Incredibly angry. Um, the Nebraska loss, I guess I wasn't incredibly angry, but we had we should have won that game. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I never played in a game in college where I don't think we should have won and, and really should have won easily. So, uh because of the, the ramifications of the football game, I got to go with the 2003 national championship game against LSU. Should have won that game. Should have won it easily. Uh, I didn't think they were that good of a football team. I thought we were clearly better. And it ended a horribly frustrating year in bad fashion. I wish I would have played in the national championship. That would have been tight. But I didn't. Um, now, if – so – relive and replay that that's an interesting way that Jason Bush has phrased it for us. If I was going to relive a game in the aftermath of a game, sign me up for that sugar bowl 
every damn time. <laughs> it was a lot of fun playing it, and it was even more fun on Bourbon Street. Afterwards, shout out to our man, Adrian Peterson. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> but I think replaying a game, and, and when I hear replay, it makes me think of a game that we lost. It, it, it's got to be Notre Dame at home in 2012. Um, I had some plays where I got my ass kicked, which shouldn't have happened, uh, but it did. And we lost, what was it, 30 to 13, and the game was much closer than that. And I, I still think, even though that Notre Dame team ended up going undefeated, going and playing in a national championship, I think we should have won that game. And the reason I wish I could replay it is that was the best home crowd I had in my entire career at Oklahoma. And as an OU guy, an OU lifer, I just felt I felt so bad after that game because James Harden got traded. That that sucked too, but I felt like we had let the fans down. Like we we had been asking for the fans to show up and be loud, and they did. And it was the best atmosphere I was ever a part of in that building when I was playing. And we didn't get it done, man. We lost to a really good team. And I also – I definitely regret telling Manti Teo that I was sorry for his loss at the coin flip. God, <sighs> oh, that's that makes it even worse. Makes oh, it even wow. worse, man. I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know oh yeah, that. we were captains. Uh, did he even? Did he even? Oh yeah, no. It was. It was. It was an intimate exchange. You know, we're all praying for you, bro. Uh, stay strong. Whole thing. Appreciate that, bro. Thank you. God bless. Whole thing. Yeah. Um, wow. Kind of regret that, but. <laughs> but. Yeah, it, it's well, if I could replay one game, it'd it be didn't that take one. his mind off the game as you think it might. Uh, you know, Ted, I'm sure that we'll break down some of our, you know, big time games at some point on this podcast. But when the center on the football team doesn't touch the mind, Mike linebacker all game, something's gone drastically wrong. Yeah, uh, yeah, we bad things happened in that game, but it certainly was closer than uh, thirty to thirteen. But that's what the scoreboard said at the end of the day, and we let all those fans down. I don't think about it ever, not like every day or anything. What? Relive <laughs> Relive is interesting. I didn't think about it that way. I, I, I mean, it, for a game that I'd like to relive in a good way, that was fantastic. Um, man. Just beating the hell out of Texas. Oh, there's nothing better than that also. Maybe I would pick one of those, what we put, 60-something and then 50-something back-to-back years on Texas and just beat the absolute dog shit out of them. That would – those felt good too. But the aftermath of the game, all the players go back to Norman and do nothing while yeah. everyone's partying in Dallas. A lot of people forget I, that. I wouldn't – I didn't even think about a Texas game to pick, which is strange, but the most fun – I've ever had playing a game in Norman was in 2003 when we played Oklahoma State at home. We had lost to them the two previous years. Uh, shouldn't have lost either one of those games. Huge favorite in both games. Um, we, if we win those games like we should, we probably at least play in another national championship, maybe two of them. Um, so 
when we had them in 2003, there was some pent up anger and that game was so fun. The crowd, we just destroyed them from opening kick to the end. And the crowd was there packed in, not an empty seat in the house the entire time. It was awesome. It was a lot of fun. Oh. 2000 Nebraska was awesome too, but I didn't play very much in that game. So Man, it still counts. It oh. was that game was insane. I was there in the crowd. As Did a, you take as any a, what, pepper spray year, to the face? No pepper spray. I didn't go on the field, didn't jump on the goalpost or anything. I was, I was a, I was a law-abiding citizen. Did that I, was crazy, though, wasn't it? I was with my grandma. It was Gramps a great – That's took that's, you to the game. Oh, she took me to – that's where the fandom started. My grandma, Joanne, taking me to all the games. Um, yeah, my grandma was my best friend growing up. Fun fact. Was uh, she losing it during the game? She throwing orange we, out there? We were – we were hurling oranges, hurling it. That was, I, I still think to this day, maybe it's cause I was just a little kid, but the stadium, you, you put that game and the jump around game against tech as by far the craziest that stadium's ever been it, in my lifetime that I've seen with my own eyes. It was that game, that comeback was nuts the the stadium was shaking i remember and i didn't imagine that it happened i was a kid but i know it happened because i remember it vividly it did now i'll tell you that that game was insane like it was loud and it was whenever towards the end whenever it was like we knew we were going to win the crowd was nuts but the loudest i've ever heard that stadium was 2001 against kansas state it was I mean, un, it was unbelievable. You couldn't hear anything. It was crazy. They, so there's a play in that game where um, they're running speed option and quarterback audibles, and it's so loud that he goes back and he says it right to the face of the tailback audible, and he goes the wrong way, doesn't hear him, goes the wrong way, quarterback pitches it on the option, Nobody's there. Roy Williams picks it up and goes in and scores a touchdown. Dude, it, that sta- I thought the thing was going to crumble to the ground. It was crazy. It's so awesome when, when it gets that loud. Those, those are the best games. Yep. All right, Ted. Episode 13 in the books. Now we'll have a new podcast that will drop Monday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400. And you can hear me on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. We hope you have an absolutely fantastic weekend. Until next time, we appreciate y'all for listening. And do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.